Hey guys, thanks so much for joining in today on Men's Leadership Network podcast. And I'm sitting here with Daryl Nelson, who is an amazing man. And I am so glad that you're watching this interview. You know, there's a lot going on in our country and our world. And I believe that God's going to speak through this time together. So Daryl, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Yeah. Hey, yeah. tell us about your family and kind of your career kind of over your life. Well, I come from uh, a military family. Okay. Um, uh, I've got two brothers and a sister. I'm the oldest. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I've been married 40 years. That's awesome. I've got one daughter and two grandsons. <laughs> and uh, that's about it. I've lived... Uh, a lot of different places in this country mm -hmm. and um, learned a lot of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you have. You've been around a lot. You've done a lot of different things in yes. this world. So. Now, yes. when did you become a Christ follower? When did you commit your life to Christ? Um, I committed my Christ to life the summer before my senior year in high school. Okay. There was... Um, uh, an event in Dallas, Texas. There was a national event called Evangelism Explosion. Yeah. And it was just like a big concert. And I went down there and I gave my life to Christ during an Andre Crouch concert. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm. Well, tell me what, what, what life has been like growing up in America. You know, what, what was life been like kind of for you growing up? Uh, like I say, my my family was military, and we traveled all over. My dad was like a uh, uh, military liaison to uh, companies that did that had military contracts. Okay. And so we he'd get one project done, and we'd move to the next project. Wow. So we've lived everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and uh, my dad lost his dad when he was twelve. And he was pretty, I'm not going to say hard on us, but he was very stern. I mean, even sometimes to the point where, you know, we had to make our beds and bounce a quarter off the, Really? Uh, we had to have our slippers lined up specifically in a certain place under the bed and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, when we went to school, he said, remember, you're a Nelson and you know don't embarrass me and wow you know that kind of stuff yeah and uh he came from a family of, of um 13 wow. and um his grandfather uh was a slave and um uh like i say we we um went from city to city we only lived on the base once, um, and that one time was, I hated it. Really? Most of the time we lived in neighborhoods that allowed us to, to be in the neighborhood. Um, we were considered, you know, middle class. We were a military family. Mm -hmm. We made a fairly good salary, but, you know, my dad couldn't go to the officers club and all that kind of stuff um, so most of the time we lived uh, in neighborhoods we could afford and neighborhoods that would allow us 
to be in the neighborhood. Mm. I remember one house we lived in, um, it was the only house we could get at the time. Uh, it was in such poor shape. Um, we had bunk beds and you could look down at the floor and see the ground underneath. We had so many rodents and bugs in the house, it was even hard to keep groceries. We had to go to the grocery store like every other day or something like that because you just couldn't keep or store groceries in there because the roaches would get in it, the mice would get in it, wow. they'd just come up through the floor and there's a whole lot of, you know, there's nothing yeah. you could do. So, um, so there's that. And then, uh, um, then, you know, there are other times we had a home, we had nice homes, but we're still in, um, the poor neighborhood. And, um, seen some things. Yeah. Seen some things. Uh, my cousin, we were living in Lansing, um, and my dad was uh, uh, getting his degree in uh, electronics and uh, at Michigan State. And uh, my cousin, uh, who lives maybe two blocks away from us, stole a car, and he was coming to our house to pick me up. Now, he was 16. And I think I was around 10 or 11. So he was coming to, to pick me up and several of other other cousins. And he got arrested right in front of our house. And uh, uh, they surrounded his car, pulled him out of the car. And, and uh, after they had him handcuffed, they started beating him and kicking him uh, to the extent that um, he passed away um, in November of, of this past November. And he still had a um, big uh, extrusion on his jaw from where they kicked him and broke his jaw and it never got set or anything. And so he had this thing and that was when he was 16, so he had to go, you know, whole, through, through life that way so um, so I've seen some things yeah yeah so what made you you became a law enforcement officer yes what kind of made you want to go into law enforcement and, and then how was that for you well it's kind of a long story because my uh, my my father's uh, oldest brother was was in law enforcement in Michigan and um, he was in the Department of Corrections, and he was he was um, he was a stern, stout man, very straightforward. Mm. Um, uh, but he was very caring, and he cared uh, deeply. Mm. And he worked in the neighborhoods, apart from. Uh, juvenile delinquent because you had to live there so he lived with the juvenile at the juvenile home in in Lansing but he'd go out on you know after work and on the weekends and work in the neighborhoods and work with guys 
and um, we had a football team. That's how I started, you know, playing football. And um, it was just, it was his example. And um, do you see this scar? Yeah. In my, up through my eyebrow? Yeah. Came to the Chicago Police Department. Really? And after that incident, I, uh, I said, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the police and try to change things. Wow. Mm. Now I wasn't a bad guy. Yeah, I was gonna ask you how that came about. Though. We were, we were driving through Chicago. We, um, I had gone home with uh, my college roommate who lived in Chicago. Yeah. And uh, we were looking for a barbecue place. So we were just going along and we got stopped. About three or four cars and uh, they had lights on us so we didn't even see what they looked like. And so, you know, they had me, uh, I knew it was serious because they told me to turn the car off and drop the keys outside the door. So I rolled the window down, dropped the keys outside the door and as I had my hand out to drop the keys, the car door opened and I got yanked out of the car and slammed down on the hood. So, you know, my roommate who was from Chicago, he, he was talking and I was getting nervous because I could tell his talking was irritating them. And, uh, so I told him, be quiet, be quiet. And then the guy behind me asked me a question and I didn't hear it. So when I turned to say what, as soon as I turned, a shotgun butt, pow. And that's all I remember. Knocked you out? Yeah, because I, I woke up uh, with my friends uh, in the hospital. I had 21 stitches. And uh, they told me that uh, after they hit me, you know, I fell to the ground. One of the guys got, one of the police got a radio call and they just left, Pew, gone. So apparently uh, we weren't the right people. Wow. Wow. What do you, when you look at the country today and all this racial tension and all this stuff that's happening, what do you, what do you, what do you feel? I mean, just inside being a person of color and the things you've grown up with, how does, how does it make you feel? I, you know, the, the, the word now is that, you know, the police are racist and, and I, that's not, that's not the case. Mm. Um, there are racist police, and most police officers, I mean, if you think about it, um, they're, they're there to serve the community. They're, mm -hmm. they're there to serve mankind. Yeah. Um, as, a, and as a matter of fact, most police are like bleeding hearts. Mm -hmm. I mean, who wants to get shot at? Yeah. I, you know. 
Um, and uh, but there are some some some. And I'm you know I'm not even going to say bad. I don't I don't know what it is. You know, it, it, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Um, mm. And um, it's quite frankly, you know, some people just need Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. There, uh, in the district that I that I worked, uh, we had team policing, and you you were a one-man car, and then when you got to run the neighboring district or the neighboring officer would, would volunteer. So I had, a, I had uh, guys that I worked with on the north, south, and east and west of me, districts. Um, but one year, you know, I was um, pretty high. I mean, I was, I'm not gonna brag, but mm-hmm. I, I was a pretty good officer. Mm-hmm. And one year, I, um, you know, I, after being nominated for officer of the year, I had like 24 uh, vehicle arrests, uh, stolen vehicle arrests. Wow. I mean, I could just pick them out. Yeah. Um, um, and so because of that, everybody would like to get in on my runs because mm-hmm. they figured, you know, it might be a hot run. He's, mm-hmm. you know, especially if I was stopping a car or if I saw somebody uh, in the neighborhood or something like that, a suspect, uh, they would jump on the run because they knew, you know, this was going to be a, yeah. a good, good arrest. And uh, so there was a couple of guys that were several districts away, up further north, who every now and then would try to jump in on, you know, one of my runs. And uh, I had a, I had an incident. I had a another stolen vehicle. Um, uh, I made a good arrest. I, I'd love to go into the details of it, but I'm not. <laughs> uh, but I had, I had one of the suspects in the back seat of my car, and one of these guys comes down. He opens uh, the door of my car, and he starts beating on my, my uh, prisoner, my arrest. And I immediately ran over, pushed him out of the way, and uh, told him, you know, don't ever uh, abuse one of my prisoners, one of my arrests. You know, I don't even need you around here. And um, he was a popular guy in our district, and I kind of got a bad rap for shoving him off and I you know I, I went off a little bit and I told him you know I'll you know we'll go to internal affairs you know I don't care this is this is my arrest and I don't yeah. abuse people yeah and there's no reason to be hitting on this guy um, but it was pretty common mm. in police circles that if you if you have to chase a guy or uh, run after a guy, or the guy gives you a hard time in any kind of way during arrest, uh, that you punish him mm-hmm. for doing that. 
And I just never got into that. As a matter of fact, I mean, I was so well known in the neighborhood um, that I had a nickname. Mm -hmm. And uh, people would call me and tell me, hey, so-and-so need to watch. You know, I think you might be doing this or you might be doing that. You know, the reason I'm telling you is, you know, it's because he, he jammed my mother up, blah, blah, mm. blah, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, and you, you've been looking out for my mom and you've been looking out for, you know, my cousin or whatever. And um, I had a, I had a um, um, house burglary. Got to the house. The guy was coming out of the window, had all the stuff piled up underneath the window that he was taking and I surprised him and boom he took off running well I chased him for about a half a block and then I recognized who he was mm. and so I said hey so and so I know who you are I'm not chasing you I'm just going to go tell your mom He got, he ran a little further, he stopped, turned around, shook his head like that and just walked back to me and just turned around and... Did that? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, if you get it, if, if you get involved with the community, that, and, and see, that's yeah. the other issue. Yeah. It used to be that in order to be on the police department, you had to live in the community that mm. hired you. Mm. In other words, if, if you're going to be Indianapolis PD, you had to live in Indianapolis in, within the city boundary. Um, but hiring got so scarce that a lot of, especially the metropolitan uh, police departments, mm. um, just couldn't staff yeah. the way they needed to and so they started going outside and even going out of state and recruiting out of state and bringing people in one of the guys that excuse me went to the academy with me was from Bloomington Illinois um, and not the city the rural area never met a black person in his life no until he came to the Indianapolis Police Academy. Wow. And so mm. he was petrified. And he wanted to be the police. Yeah. Um, anyway, some of the brothers got together on, in, the, in the academy in our class, and we took him to school. And, he was cool. Yeah. Um, but there are people like that mm. on police departments now mm. that the only thing they know of the black communities and what they've seen on TV, mm. what they've heard from their relatives, and they have absolutely no real experience mm. with people outside of their culture. Yeah. So how do we change that? Like, how do we stop the whole police brutality? We got to start making police who do those things accountable. Yeah. I saw something on TV yesterday that really disturbed me. One of the 
police union guys that was going off about this or that. This thin blue line that they talk about where, you know, the, and the unions protecting uh, police that, that just shouldn't be police. Mm. I understand unions are, unions are, that's what unions do. However, they, that thin blue line that, they, that, that you've heard of, mm -hmm. that thin blue line should be the thread that sews the police to the community, mm. not the dividing line between the police and the community. Mm. And until that thin blue line becomes part of the fabric of the community that they're policing, you're going to have issues. Yeah. yeah. How do we, Daryl, tell me this, because you've got this unique perspective of being a police officer, being a person of color. Uh, there's a lot of good police officers, you oh. know? And you know, like you were saying, I, I, you know, you, I can think of, you know, a bunch in my head right now who are friends and, and you know, who, who want to serve the community, who want to help. How do we support the police and yet s stand up against racial injustice? One is not exclusive of the other. Mm. Yeah. And what we're hearing now on television and the talk shows and radio and all that kind of stuff is it's either them. Yeah. It's other, us or them. Yeah. And that's not true. That's a false equivalent. Mm. That is a total false. It is not us and them. Yeah. It's us. It's us. Yeah. It's, it's we, the people. Yeah. And the only way to do that is, is, is you make people accountable. Mm -hmm. um, you, 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 you make, your, you make your, your neighbors accountable, your friends accountable, uh, you make police accountable, um, and, you know, stop the excuses. Yeah. When I was on the police department, I was, I was in Wendy's one day. It was one of my hangouts. Mm -hmm. And um, um, some guy came up to me and gave me, um, I'm trying to remember the name, it gave me a pamphlet, the, the Four Gospels, or remember that old pamphlet? Yeah, the four, the four Laws? Or yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Four Spiritual it's Laws. Four Spiritual Laws. He gave me a Four Spiritual Laws pamphlet and a pocket Bible. Mm. Um, and, you know, I told him, you know, that I knew the Lord and we talked a little bit and, uh, he, you know, he went on. But, you know what, that Bible ended up uh, protecting me one day. Some guy hit me in the chest with a bat and that Bible absorbed a lot of the shock. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. My point is this, is that, you know, when we see police, we should talk to them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if they're not gonna reach out to us, and a lot of times police are kinda, it's, it's awkward yeah. to talk to the community because, you know, after you leave the gas station, after talking, 
you may run a light and I may have to stop you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they, they're, they're, they're awkward that way. But if you go to them and talk to them, get to know. Mm-hmm. Well, you're around people from different cultures and you understand. Yeah. You're not like that guy who comes in and has never seen a black person in his life, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 Listen, you know, a lot of times I mourn about how many times we move. When I, was, I got married at 24. Mm-hmm. I had moved 27 times. Holy cow. By 24? By 24. I don't know how many schools I went to, yeah. but I had, I had teachers who genuinely took an interest in me. My kindergarten teacher, my kindergarten white teacher, took me to her uh, orchestra rehearsals on Mondays and Fridays. No, Mondays and Wednesdays. Um, Hmm. My third grade teacher, and I'm, for the life of me, I've been, I've been trying to remember her name since I knew I was going to do yeah. this, and I cannot remember her name. She gave me a gift. It was the first time she'd ever done that for a student hmm. uh, in her entire career. And she, uh, the year that she gave me that gift, um, she retired that year at the age of 70. Wow. She'd never done that before. She gave me a gift. A seventh grade teacher brought me home from school after I'd been expelled. Hmm. And he cried on the porch with me and my mother. because Martin Luther King had been killed that day. I haven't seen any of those people, you know, since those incidents. But I'm 65, I'll be 65 in a week or so. And the impact of that I'm not talking about anything complicated. Yeah. So as a, as a grandfather, you got two grandsons. <laughs> um, what do you hope the world looks like for them? I hope it looks like what they're seeing it look like now. Mm. I got one of my favorite pictures of my grandson is him with his buddy. Yeah. And they're hugged up. <laughs> and he's dark and his buddy is as white as a ghost. <laughs> yeah. That's what I hope the world looks like. Yeah. Mm. Question I asked all the guys. What do you want your legacy to be? That I love the Lord <laughs> and that I had some impact on people's lives. You've lived a lot of life, you know? Oh, you don't know the half of it. <laughs> <laughs> but you have some amazing stories. Oh, yeah. Um, do you ever think about, like, your great, so it'd be your great-grandfather yes. was a slave? Yes. 
How, did, what, how does that make you feel? Okay, for the last year and a half, we've been trying to find the plantation mm. that he lived at. We finally found it. Really? It's in Louisville. And I drove, before the COVID and all that kind of stuff started, I drove to Louisville and sought out the, where the plantation was. The, GT, or the GE plant is on the plantation. Really? Um, and uh, one of his owners is in the cemetery across the street from the GE plant. My family is, you know, lives, most of my family lives in Michigan. Yeah. Uh, but my grandfather uh, ran away from uh, the plantation and uh, went to Canada. And then he uh, came back and joined the Union Army. Really? So we've got that history. And yeah. as a matter of fact, if you go to the Underground uh, Railroad Museum in Cincinnati, mm -hmm. there's a log cabin there that, that uh, uh, was one of the homes on the Underground Railroad. Uh, and his name is carved. In that cabin? In that cabin. Wow. It was just, you know, three generations ago. Yeah. But, praise God now, I mean, to see you and Kana, I mean, and just your influence and the difference that you guys make. But God's using you, Daryl, and I'm thankful for you and speaking out and standing up and then just that encouragement and challenge today for every one of us, man, you know, to find a friend yeah. and to, to lock arms together and let's change the world. Yeah. You know, we can one do it. One person at a time, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. So, oh, man. Well, guys, I want to pray for us right now. So let's, let's join a prayer. Father, thank you for today. Thanks for Daryl. Um, thanks for his life. And God, just this um, amazing man who is seeking you and, and just making a difference, God. And I pray for all of us that we would do that. I pray, uh, Father, we'd be focused on you. Um, I pray that your kingdom would come here, um, God, on earth, God, just as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, we need you. Uh, and, Father, I pray that it would start with us. And, Jesus, that you would change our hearts and you would change the heart of our country. And you said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, uh, then, God, you will hear from heaven and turn and heal our land. And so, God, we pray you bring healing into our land. And so use us, God, as men after your heart. And thanks for this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Daryl, thanks so much, brother. All right. Appreciate you. And uh, guys, thank you for joining in today. And just want to encourage you, every Friday there's the Man Minute. And let's become the men that God created us to be. And then be watching next month for our next podcast. And now let's go live it out. Blessings on you guys.